0: To say the last few years have been challenging is somewhat of an understatement given the many natural disasters, an ongoing pandemic that continues to evolve in unexpected ways and now the threats of foot and mouth disease that has many wool producers justifiably concerned. So imagine being the president of a national organisation for the wool industry. Well, Wool Producers Australia is the peak industry body and Ed Story is the president. We're about to hear from him. Welcome to The Yarn, it's a podcast for the Australian wool industry, I'm Marius Cumming. So we'll get to sustainability, markets, the state of the industry in a minute, but right now the threat of foot and mouth disease is very much at the front of many producers' minds, and wool producers has a central role to play. So I asked Ed story just where he thought the issue was right now.
1: Well look, there's no doubt a uh, the, the recent outbreak in Indonesia, and particularly Bali with which Australia has a lot of foot traffic, is is concerning. Uh, the Indonesians are doing their best to get it under control as quickly as they can, but they've got a, a large herd, we understand, somewhere between 16 and 18 million cattle, plus several million, 10, 20 million further susceptible species in pigs, sheep and goats. So they've got a way to go uh, before they get it under control. So while it's spreading under control, it it cr- creates a risk, uh, given, particularly with barley, the number of traffic um, you know and, and travelers that people heading back from Australia to, uh, to, to Bali where it's exposed but we have good systems in place at uh, airports good profiling of passengers to mitigate risk uh, it's not perfect and we've recently you know, written to the minister saying he needs to sharpen it up a bit to ensure that um, some of these anecdotal incidents we're hearing about where uh, people haven't been checked. Uh, we, we need to ensure that doesn't happen. We're pleased to hear that all mail and, um, uh, uh, you know, much more port activity in, in, in terms of imports are being checked. Uh, so there's a number of risk measures in place, but it, it is concerning. Although we have good systems in place to keep it out, and we have uh, we're quite well prepared as a livestock sector in Australia. Should we be unfortunate enough to get an outbreak here?
0: So. Are you confident that there's adequate measures in place to, to keep it out?
1: Uh, look, the first thing to understand is there's no such thing as uh, you know, 100% secure in, in keeping it out. Uh, there's foot and mouth in several countries around the world, quite a few actually, um, and we have no travel restrictions on those, but people need to be careful. Um, we, we are confident that it, it will be kept out, uh, but there's no, as I said, it, there's no certainties in life. Um, the the and, and that is certainly the priority. We absolutely want to keep it out. We've done a lot of preparedness work and a lot of preparation in, in sort of a what-if uh, situation. We hope that never happens uh, because the key priority of industry uh, and government is to absolutely keep it out. Um, we're pretty confident that they will, uh, but you can never be 100%. Yes, and
0: uh, look... Speaking to growers, they seem to want to know that uh, there is adequate protection and uh, also want to know what they can do personally to uh, protect themselves. So what have you been telling wool growers in that sense?
1: Look, uh, growers have, have, a, have a key role here because it's their business at the end of the day if they're on a farm. So there's a few things, and, and luckily most wool growers and sheep producers are pretty fait with uh, managing biosecurity risks, risks such as foot rot, uh, lice, things like that. So the concept of good biosecurity practices is uh, not is not something that's new to them. They probably do that every day on their business, quite often without thinking about. It. Um, for for many of them, there'll be no change at all. For some little things, if you're having a few mates down from the city and they've all just got back from uh, Bali that weekend, uh, you know maybe delay it a week or two. Uh, I think when people do training, when in the past have done training in the pool, um, in a live foot and mouth uh, outbreak situation, in conjunction with the, you know, the OIE and the European Union, um, when they come back, they're required to spend uh, at least seven days uh, in the city away from their farm. Um, so good practices like that are the case, but we we don't have the disease in Australia at the moment, and we we we're putting pulling out all stops and ensuring that government. Uh, does keep it out. So there's not a lot of change required, but people need to assess, as they do in every aspect of the business, risk. Um, There's, you know, we note, uh, with interest, the zoos have, um, I think, stopped certain types of people that perhaps associate with farm animals or cloven hoof animals coming to their zoos at the moment. I think that's a pretty strong reaction, again, given we don't have uh, the zoos in Australia at the moment, uh, and the policy is to keep it out. Uh, But you know people need to understand um, the risk to their business and if if uh, they want to travel all over the country you know with sheep or um, cattle or anything like that you know that's that's something they need to consider um, it's perfectly safe to do so at the moment there's no problem with it um, but just just good good biosecurity practices on their own farm are always a good idea the, the current situation with fmd just highlights why that's such a good idea
0: so you're not Necessarily asking everyone to set up a foot bath for every visitor on the farm yet?
1: No, we're not at that point yet, Maurice. Yeah, uh, and and we hope we never get there. To be honest, that's that's we hope we never get there. But if you've if you've you know if you're having people to, to your farm that have um, been in, in a foot susceptible country, ensure they don't bring the shoes that they took overseas. Ensure they are you know just are, are mitigating that risk. Um, and that they're travelling safely to your farm.
0: So as you mentioned before, Ed, there are strategies in place behind the scenes, there are structures, there's procedures, there's been a lot of training over the years. Uh, So things are prepared if it is found here and Wool Producers Australia has a crucial role in that if it does, heaven forbid, turn up here. What exactly is that role that Wool Producers has?
1: Sure. Good question, Mark. Right. We're so, so to start with, we're the signatories uh, to the, uh, the thing called the EADRA, which is the Emergency Animal Disease Response Agreement. Uh, and we're also the wool industry reps for the AusVet plans, which are technical manuals, um, which outline uh, the, the programs that'll, and the steps that will take from a technical veterinary level to eradicate an outbreak should it occur in Australia. Uh, so as signatories to EADRA, we've been responsible over the years for policy development to sort out, to have a compensation arrangements in place to determine what classes of animals, um, in what, under what circumstances, would be, would be what they call compensatable. Um, we have to... Uh, we're responsible for appointing uh, people to... If it gets going and becomes a national outbreak, there's a national management group formed. There's a whole range of different... Committees, due to the different jurisdictions, form we're responsible for appoint, appointing a vet to the technical, to the national technical body, uh, and we've got a number of vets that are trained up uh, to, to do that. Um, uh, so we'll we'll appoint someone to that. We'll appoint uh, a grower to the national management group, and we'll appoint uh, different people at the state uh, levels. And then, it, then, should it, should an incursion happen, um, you, you know, the chief veterinary officer. We have the Federation of Australia where the state's are sovereign state, so the chief veterinary officer of each state will be the key person that runs... ..the person responsible for running the program in each state. Uh, and then it goes down to different levels, to in, in, from infected premises out to control zones and out to other zones. The first thing that'll happen, should we, incur, should we have an incursion, will be that a national livestock and products standstill. So uh, all, all sheep, would there be no no movements of susceptible species uh, for probably at least 72 hours. Um, there's obviously some arrangements that have to be put in place pretty quickly when sheep are at sale yards or uh, sheep are on trucks or wool is on trucks, uh, but there's plans there about how that um, happens. Those trucks obviously can proceed and be unloaded, but there might be designated sale yards that are depots for, for sheep on the road and things like that. Those, the Chief Veterinary Officer of each state makes all those plans, And the reality for the wool industry is wool is a non-perishable product that's relatively uh, easily stored. So um, you, the, the, probably in the initial out- stages of an outbreak, wool won't be a priority um, because of that. Uh, you know, the, the animals and perhaps the perishable products like milk and things like that will be a priority as to how arrangements for those are put in place to uh, handle them safely. Uh, so there'll be a number of a, a number of things, and we, you know, for example, we will vaccinate. There's been quite a lot of work in the past about vaccination policy. What do you then do with the vaccinated animals down the track? Um, and so a, a lot of that has been determined. Um, you know, and that's across the livestock sectors, so the cattle, pork, uh, goats, all susceptible species. And sometimes you've got to sometimes you got to compromise, but um, it's those plans are fairly well set in concrete. The chief. Veterinary officers of each state do that, and as, as signatories, we support them and advise them on, you know, if, if they're looking for what industry's view on, on a certain thing, way things might be handled in an outbreak, uh, they'll come to us and our representatives, and we'll try and give uh, as sound advice as we can in terms of um, eradicating the out, outbreak. And that is that's my last comment. There is the key point in, in in terms of if we get a foot and mouth outbreak in Australia, the number one priority is to eradicate it. Uh, we won't put up with, we won't tolerate in Australia, you know, an ongoing endemic situation with respect to foot and mouth. It will be eradicated. That's the number one
0: policy. So there are there's plenty of information around and uh, we've put a, a, a quick sort of two pager together at, at wool.com slash FMD. But I think before COVID, Ed, I think a lot of rank and file wool growers, sheep producers probably... Thought, oh look, you know, I'm glad I've, I'm glad all this, uh, all these plans are in place. Um, but you know, uh, don't really need to be too concerned about it. But uh, I think with the advent of COVID, I think we've all been primed to the consequences of uh, disease and uh, infectious diseases. And uh, really, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, given that Australia relatively has managed COVID well in terms of deaths. And I think many people have acknowledged that Australia's managed it well through collaboration and control. Hopefully, we can do the same if FMD ever does turn up here.
1: Oh, look, I think you're 100% right. Maris. I think COVID, you know, tough as it's been and hard as it's been on individuals and families and people, all, the economy all over the place. It's certainly taught us a lot about, about biosecurity, about um, you know, threats to farms about traceability, both of in COVID it was people, um, where have you been, who have you been in touch with, contact tracing. you know, there are a huge amount of resources put into that, um, so we, we're starting to understand the, the, the value of traceability in our own production systems, be they sheep or wool, because I think one of the, the things about foot and mouth the big cost, the modelling that the CSIRO and a range of people have done, the big cost is the time we're out of the market Sure, there's some initial costs and and some animals might have to be destroyed and there'll be a vaccination program and these things will all be put in place um, to to eradicate and stamp out the disease quickly. But we have to then get to a point where we can... Because every product that comes from an animal that leaves the country gets signed by the chief veterinary officer. A a, a ticket gets signed having a certificate saying that uh, it's from a country that's foot and mouth free. Because many of our products, and, and we've seen this with wool, a good example has been wool out of South Africa into China. Um, they've complied with all the OIE requirements of being um, getting to a point where their their wool is considered foot and mouth free, but they're still having a little trouble negotiating with the, with the Chinese because the Chinese have to satisfy themselves. China there's some foot and mouth in China, but they've got it under control um, with a program and. You know they still have to we still have to satisfy our customer that we're good to go. and that may take several months. And that's where things like having our traceability system for sheep, having having it working well for wool, is very important. so because it's up to each customer to assess whether they're happy uh, that that we are putting mouth free and we have systems in place to provide that assurance as trade resumes. And that, that I think as we all know with with um, wool and or any of our exports, martin, you know, the longer we're out of these markets, that's where some big costs can incur. For example, the British, I don't, the English, I don't think, got back into the China meat market for about six years. Now, I'm not for one minute after after their foot and mouth outbreak a number of years ago. I'm not for one minute suggesting that's the t- sort of timeframes we're thinking about. Um, but I would hope we could do it considerably shorter than that. But even three months or six months out of the market is is the type type of time frame we're likely to have. Uh, that will impose a severe cost on domestic agriculture in Australia. Uh, So as long as we can keep that to three and six months and it doesn't go on for many months longer than that, and, and, you know, even years, uh, that's really important. So I I think certainly with COVID, um, you make a really good point, it started to really bring home the value of our traceability systems, our assurance programs and the things we've got in place, many of which are world-leading, We've got to keep them. We've got to keep innovating. We've got to keep them up to, up to purpose because, you know, this this foot-and-mouth risk may pass and subside, but there'll be something else in the future, you know, and we need to ensure we're always prepared for that uh, to, to keep our markets open as quickly as we can.
0: It's certainly galvanising the industry. That's one thing for sure. And in, uh, in recent times, there's been the sheep sustainability framework, which uh, underpins... And demonstrates how we care for the animals that uh, are, part, are, are central to our industry, um, as well as the environment and our, and our people. So, uh, one year on from the formation and the launch of the sheep sustainability framework, um, how's it how's it travelling? Is it is it doing what it's supposed to do?
1: Look, I think I think is it's it's sort of a bit of an internal thing at the moment, Marius. I feel. Um, You know, it's been a really good collaboration between the wool and sheep meat sectors. Uh, It it started out, you know, prior to 12 months ago with a materiality review to understand from our customers and our producers what are the important aspects of sustainability that they're interested in. Uh, And we got... One of the things we got clear direction from was animal welfare. People were concerned how we raise our animals. But, again, the good news is there that there's a range of good things we do with our animals that are very much world-leading that people and, and didn't really understand. So that provides us an opportunity to be a little positive about a few things, such as, you know, the wool growers and sheep producers around the country spend a lot of our levies and a lot of programs keeping diseases out, like we've just been talking about, with respect to putting them out. Um, we invest in endemic disease control programs. We invest in a whole range of different things that, that address, uh, you know, animal welfare. I, I think the sustainability framework is our industry being very transparent. I think it's a great thing. I think around the world at the moment, you're seeing a lot of pretty hyped-up claims about sustainability. Uh, You've got a whole range of people talking about that have been big, for example, carbon emitters, and in a couple of years, they're going to be net zero. Um, I think some of these claims, it seems to me, and there's no doubt some of them are starting to be questioned, I think, through the big, apparently green super funds that run sustainable investment platforms. I think some of the credibility and integrity of those programs is being questioned. Uh, and I think the seat sustainability framework is about us being honest, transparent, and open, not being afraid of issues that, that some have concerns about, uh, and not being afraid to, to tackle those, but also not being afraid to talk about the things that we, as wool growers around the countryside, know we do very well. You know, we're not like the monocultured farming systems of Europe. Uh, we have a biodegradable, natural, sustainable fibre. Uh, we provide regional employment. Um, it, you know, it's, we've managed to align them in a number of areas and reference how we how we reflect and, and uh, how we are consistent with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so that gives us an international reference point. I think the real value will emerge when we get two or three years data and we start to see. Some, some trends, or um, both positive and negative, I think. Then what we do with that will be quite interesting. I think. Uh, I think some of our customers will identify some areas where they'll tell us we need to improve, uh, and that's okay. We're not afraid of that. Uh, and I think us, us as producers will go, gee, you know, there'll be a couple of areas where I think we could make some. We can do a bit of R and D and come up with a solution to that issue, or we can we can understand how we're impact in this area a bit more and we can come up with a range that, um, that that works. So these things, I think, you know, what do they talk about? The journey, you know. Um, I think these things, no one is perfect in the world of sustainability, but we know it's a key issue. Um, and it's not just carbon or it's not just methane. There's a whole range of factors to sustainability. So the sheep sustainability framework in Australia gives us the opportunity to, to tell that, how we look after our land, how we look after animals, how we look after our people, and how we look after our businesses. Um, because if our businesses aren't strong and profitable, it's pretty hard to invest in our animals, our land, and our people. So I, I think it'll it'll be a couple of years, and then we'll really start to see the value of it.
0: Well, from the from the marketing side of the business, it's certainly all about sustainability, and so it's wonderful to have a framework to, to point to to prove the claims that propel our marketing. So that, that's exactly right. But from from your own personal viewpoint, Ed, how are you viewing the state of the wool industry at the moment?
1: Oh, look, I think we've got a wonderful opportunity. I, th- I think you're right. Sustainability is, and, and and you know, we view it in the broad context, others view it as a particular thing, methane, is going to be a key issue going forward for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Uh, wool is extremely well-placed to fit into that, um, that that those requirements from around the world. I think we're seeing good demand. We had an enormous external shock with COVID. You know, there's no no doubt about that, but the industry and the markets recovered very quickly. We've got, from what, you know, anecdotally, but the markets held up, there's, there's a lot of risk and a few headwinds perhaps coming in the world um, with rising interest rates, uh, pretty strong inflation numbers and, Things like that that could stymie growth and and consumption spending, um, but the, the, the wool industry has been remarkably resilient. We're seeing very good prices for the for the finer wool. Uh, you know, there's no doubt some of the medium wools and then the crossbreds obviously are suffering enormously. Um, but the, the the finer wools, there's, there's strong demand. You know, we've had some some increased volumes, and by and large, that wool is selling. Uh, you know the head the headwinds are the logistical problems around the world, which which are slowing things up. Which, you know, I think a number of people were, were were hoping might end and and sort themselves out a little earlier this year. That's apparently not the case, and there's not much sign of that happening j- just at the moment. We know we know that's causing exporters and processors problems in the in the lags and therefore slows the finance up. But I think the wool industry is. Uh, Very well placed. Uh, I'm very confident. Personally, I'm actually going to all merinos here at Yass uh, on the Southern Tablelands, going to an all merino operation um, because I think the opportunities for for the merino sheep and the wool, we're able to produce fairly fine wool here. I think the opportunities are quite exciting over the next 10 or 20 years and I'm very keen to try and capitalise on that by producing more wool. Um, I think markets always go up and down you know, um, the the ebb and flow of markets. We're seeing, you know, and we've always got threats. Um, Getting shearers, um, uh, you know, we're seeing some problems with with these good seasons in eastern Australia and across the country more broadly. You know, fly fly strike coming under pressure, the chemicals there. Um, And there's always issues in every industry, but I think our industry's been pretty constructive. We're addressing them where we can. Um, We're pretty responsive to the customer. Uh, and becoming more so, I think, which is a very good thing. And I think the opportunities for wool in the next five to ten years are, are, are really exciting. Um, and I'm hoping that, uh, hoping that I'm going to be able to take advantage of them, um, on, you know, as, as the
0: years pass. As president of Wool Producers Australia, I mean, the the, the role of uh, of your organisation is is very much to uh, part of that is to 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 keep. AWI, the research, development, and marketing body, to account uh, to a degree. It's been an interesting relationship between the two organisations. How do you see that relationship at the moment?
1: Look, I see it um, as uh, perhaps more constructive than it's ever been. Um, We've had a couple of very good, uh, constructive meetings with uh, John Robertson, your CEO. I, you know, I'm certainly able to engage with Jock Laurie. I think. and and that's no problem at all. So I think a, a little a little tension, a little casting a critical eye, has certainly been our job over a number of years, um, and continues to be our job. And that's uh, good. I think the difference now is that we, um, if we have concerns, we we feel able to raise them with with um, the, the CEO or the chair of the board, um, and progress them that way, which is uh, often more constructive. I feel um, we. Yeah, we have the relationship in the past has has um, been a function of a couple of a couple of key issues, review of performance and a whole range of different things going back prior to that. Um, Certainly, one thing we've tried to do in the last couple of years in recent times, some of the projects we've done with respect to we've looked at traceability and so is to get the the key bodies in the in the wool industry which the, the doing sort of bodies are um, ourselves, AWI, AWTA and AWEX. In a, in a room a bit more, I think we were concerned that the, 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 perhaps the, the three service providers, AWI, AWEX and AWTA, were, for example, in the area of traceability, we were all doing different things, but, you, you know, not sure they were on the same page and there was a little bit of duplication. So we've had them in a room and um, we've had a, we had a couple of really constructive meetings. Um, with my team about how we can, how we can make better, perhaps, you know, someone can drop something, someone else can take something up to, to ensure that we're addressing things. So that certainly seems uh, to be a very constructive approach at AWI and we, we welcome that uh, very much. So that's great. I think that's been a positive change in
0: recent times. So, Ed, you've been President of Wool Producers Australia through a really difficult time globally um I understand that your reign comes to an end this year what are you what are you hoping your legacy is for for the industry in that sense uh as you as you depart Gee, legacy Maris.
1: They're, they're, they're they're big words uh look I, I, a couple of things i hope um i hope we've been better prepared for should we have an emergency disease outbreak we did we did a number of a number of um, projects so a couple of years ago and there's some work that's flowed out of that. I hope we understand. One of the things I suspect RBI and us get asked about a lot is domestic processing. I think we've currently, in conjunction with RBI, got a review happening of the, the feasibility of that um, being done by Deloitte, uh, Deloitte Economics plus a few others. Um, we, you know, We might under, hopefully are in a position to make understand that because that's sort of all linked with the, with the DNA. It left Australia and went to China for very good economic reasons many years ago but has the you know has the world changed has it uh, scenarios different now that, that, that is technology improved um, things like that we know in an, in a long run put mouth outbreak for example uh, greasy wool can't be exported but scoured wool potentially can uh, as it's not able to then take F- the FMD virus with it so you know how does that all fit in um, and is that um, is that going to provide opportunities for for our industry and also where does that fit in on the carbon thing you know we know people are we reduce our emissions so where does that fit into the carbon thing just doing a little little of it here assist that at it all or not you know we want some answers to those questions uh, and the life cycle analysis that uh, aWI done has been very constructive in trying to understand that um, more thoroughly Uh, I I hope one of my legacies is that um, our three industry service providers, AWI, AWEX and AWTA, feel able to work on issues where they need to, work constructively together for the benefit of growers and the industry. You know, we're not... Structurally, we're not growing um, as an industry, I think, uh, you know, and and production ebbs and flows a little, but other sectors of the economy, you know, cropping, sheep meat, those sectors of of the... Ag production sector are growing, So we've got to ensure that we've got our systems and our industries, which are our systems, interestingly, with our with objective measurement of wool, we, we know more about wool and have done for about 40 years than many sectors know about their products. Uh, so in many respects, we, we've been ahead of the curve and ahead of the game um, in objective measurement, data, etc. for decades. Um, but we need to ensure those three bodies are working together and I hope I hope if one of my legacies is that the policy body at Wool produce Australia and AWI continue to have constructive relationships behind the scenes. I don't think um, you know I, I, some sometimes things matters played out in the press or in in uh, open disputes, things like that, sometimes they're necessary because you've got to say your piece, but it's it's a more constructive working relationship uh, will be um, would be good, I think, for the industry. So I hope that's, if I've played a small role in that, um, I think that'd be a great positive.
0: Excellent. Well, we've travelled a fair bit there in that time, Ed, but um, thanks for having a yarn with us. Absolutely.
1: A great pleasure, Murray. Hope your listeners enjoyed and and learned a little of something what I
0: said. Ed Storey, President of Wool Producers Australia and woolproducers.com.au has a lot more of what we've just heard in that interview with Ed. But meanwhile, you can see the research, development and marketing activity for the wool industry at wool.com, as well as Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, from the Marius Cumming, thanks for your company.